Dawn and Steve welcome Barry Stagner to the show to discuss the time of the signs. What are they and why should we be paying attention? All right. What does that even mean? I'm looking forward to this conversation with Barry. You know, when we look at what is happening in culture, when we look at what's happening in world events and we look at scripture, you know, you can look at uh, what's going on and think, oh, maybe maybe we're in the end times. I mean, Israel's now a nation and we see what's going on in the Middle East and is it getting close? Are we coming up to the end times here? And so, Barry, I'm so glad that you've written this book, The Time of the Signs, A Chronology of Earth's Final Events. And uh, as we get rolling here, what do you think? Can we look at what's going on, all the signs that we see happening in our world today, and then look at Scripture and say, oh, I think the time's getting close. Yeah, I think. thanks for having me. I, I think uh, the point of the book is, you know, this is uh, something that's always on people's minds, including the four disciples who asked Jesus, what will be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? And he told them it was going to be a time of signs, in essence, and gave some very specific things to look for. And then as he answered the question in its fullness, it was uh, what we call the Olivet Discourse. And he gave very specific details as to uh, the things that would surround that unknown day and hour uh, of his coming when he comes to meet the church and the dead and Christ in the air. But uh, we are watching uh, that birth pang-like progression that he mentioned uh, that's specific to uh, the answer to the questions that uh, the disciples ask him, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Mark tells us. So, yeah, I think we can look around and say, well, you know, this is, this is different uh, than the way things used to be, even though many of these events have recurred throughout the course of history the birth pang-like progression that he closed the opening statements of the Olivet Discourse with is well underway. Let's talk birth pangs. What are you seeing, Barry, that's, uh, that you're saying, hey, they're increasing. We see that those contractions, if you will, are getting closer together. Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people say, well, there's always been wars and rumors of wars, national and ethnic tensions. There's always been plagues and things of that nature. There's always been weather anomalies and earthquakes. But, you know, we have to remember that Jesus answered a question, and it was about the signs of his coming. And that's when he mentioned, these are the beginning of sorrows, which is a phrase that could be translated as the commencement of birth pangs. Uh, I think as you follow after the, the birthing process, I think we're all, you know, certainly ladies are more aware than men, but, you know, the, the increase in frequency and intensity of the labor pains is what we would be looking for. And within the Olivet Discourse, he made mention of the, the fig tree budding. And again, this is a debated issue, pretty much like everything regarding eschatology. But uh, the fig tree represents the nation of Israel coming back into the land in unbelief, as promised in Ezekiel 37 and elsewhere. And so seeing the nation reborn, the people being regathered from around the world, the chosen people of God, into the national homeland that God unconditionally covenanted with them, uh, we know that there is, there's been a change. And the progression has begun, and I think we're we're in the latter stages of that birth pang process, because one thing that happened on October seventh has launched uh, one specific uh, verse uh, forward to its ultimate fulfillment during the tribulation, and that is Zechariah twelve three that all the nations of the earth, beginning with the surrounding peoples, those who share a border with Israel. Uh, are going to see Jerusalem, representing all of Israel, as a burdensome stone. 
And uh, that's that's what we're seeing, I think, specifically uh, that that other generations could not see or could not experience. So we're watching this rise in anti-Semitism. Israel's taken center stage on the world scene. Uh, Jerusalem specifically is in view of many nations who are gathered against uh, the policies of Israel. And uh, so I think we are a very privileged people to see in a very compact period of time so many things happening that were written thousands of years ago. You know, Barry, one of the things as we talk about the nation of Israel being reestablished and now the increased persecution there, one of the things that uh, I've heard some people talk about, well, before the return of Christ can come, one of the things that has to happen is there has to be a, a temple rebuilt somewhere in, in Jerusalem there, and people are saying, well, that can't happen at the moment, the a temple site, because there's a mosque in that place. Is there... Is that a debated passage of Scripture? Is that biblical truth, or is that something that people are using to kind of divert the conversation? Well, I think that's one of the things that we need to consider regarding the the, the title of the book and, and the progression that's presented there, or the chronology, if you will, that, you know, there's certain things that, that need to take place for that to happen. And I personally believe that within the, the timeline of prophetic events, the Ezekiel War will take place and allow and cause uh, the opportunity for the temple to be rebuilt. Because if you consider the fact that we're living at a time where the named countries in the Ezekiel invasion of chapter 38 and 39 are in coalition together, three of them have uh, military hardware and personnel on the northern border of Israel, the very direction the Bible says those nations will come from, four of the five nations represent the vast majority of radical Islam, that being uh, uh, Turkey, uh, Iran, uh, Sudan, and Libya. And these nations are going to be destroyed by God and uh, when they invade Israel from the north, and he puts a hook in their jaw and, and brings them down out of that place, and uh, they lie dead on the mountains of Israel. So basically what you'll have is the destruction of radical Islam very likely early in the tribulation. And then, you know, when this uh, Antichrist rises to power and says, eh, maybe we ought to think about letting the Jews rebuild their temple after seeing what God had just done, uh, who's going to debate the issue? So I, I don't think the presence of the Dome of the Rock Mosque uh, or the, the shrine uh, uh, on the Temple Mount is really going to be an issue uh, once the Ezekiel War scenario plays itself out. Well, Barry Stanger is uh, with us this morning. He is a pastor. He is an author. He is a, a host of a program called The Lineup, and he has written a book entitled The Time of the Signs. And if you've got a question or comment this morning, certainly welcome to text that in, 800-555-7898. It's 800-555-7898. Pastor and author Barry Stagner with us. He has written the book, The Time of the Signs. And Barry, we've talked a little bit already about some of the things that we can see in the headlines, the establishment of the nation of Israel, you know, what happened back on October 7th as some of these things that would point forward towards we're getting closer and closer to uh, the return of Christ. But in your book, you uh, talk about the signs in the church Kind of intrigued, fascinated by that. What signs might you see in the church that would indicate this? Well, there's a couple of things I think that we can clearly see happening today. You know, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 that there would be perilous times uh, that would come and people would be lovers of self 
and uh, there's a whole list of character flaws, basically. And then he talks about uh, at the end of that section in Second Timothy three one to six uh, that there'll be a form of godliness, and that that uh, word form is uh, the Greek word morphosis, and it means to something to be birthed out of something previously existing. And uh, there would be just a form of the church that, uh, and that's one of the things that's often overlooked. And Paul's talking about the church. He's not talking about the world. The world has always looked like that. And uh, so in essence, the church will become more worldly. And then he gives the cause of that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he says a time will come when people will not endure, and that can mean put up with sound doctrine, but will prefer rather than truth, uh, fables or things that people make up uh, within the church, which obviously we have a book that is living and powerful. And if you rob it of its content or, or paraphrase it away from its uh, initial meaning and original intent, then you're you're going to come away with something that's different than what it used to be. So, you know, the, the, the preference of uh, things that tickle the ear, which is talking about satisfying felt needs, will be predominant in the church in the last days, and people won't be super interested in in listening to, you know, the exegesis of Scripture. And uh, we're seeing a lot of that today, where there are things that uh, are preferred over just sound biblical teaching. And I think that's probably the main thing. And you pair that with the church at Laodicea, the last of the, the seven churches that Jesus wrote to in Revelation 2 and 3, and you've got a, an exact parallel to what Paul was writing about. You've got a church that says, yeah, we really don't need anything. And Jesus says, well, you're actually completely unaware of your spiritual condition, not knowing you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And again, you know, let's not talk about the whole church. Uh, the the church is, is live and doing well and expanding. But, you know, there's a lot that's called church that probably should find another name, to be honest with you. Yeah, yep. well, the book of Revelation is a blessing to those who study and read it, and yet there are those that will scoff and say it's just a kind of a bunch of stories that we can't take much truth from. But, Barry, how did the Lord say to you, this is something I want you to pursue and I want you to dig in deeply? Well, you know, when I was a kid, I was raised in a denominational church. My family, I had wonderful Christian parents and, uh, you know, raised in a godly home and all that. Uh, but the church that uh, that we attended, you know, didn't cover this kind of thing. And, you know, I had attended church my whole life, my young life. But when I was 12 years old, I read a book by Hal Lindsey called The Late Great Planet Earth. And I like to describe it as it scared the heaven into me. And, uh, <laughs> I realized that uh, I needed to be born again and not just be a church attendee. And so, you know, having that play such an integral part in my coming to saving faith and not just being a church attendee, I think just uh, my my whole life really, uh, you know, placed that interest in my heart. And I was about, oh gosh, what's it been, 11 years now since Pastor Chuck Smith went to be with the Lord. He had asked me to... Uh, sit in with him on a, a prophecy program he did. And, you know, we were just, our church was just a Bible teaching church. I mean, uh, you know, we we didn't, weren't prophecy focused or oriented specifically, even though I was always an area of interest. But I started doing a program with Pastor Chuck. And then when he got too sick, I actually took, uh, took over for him. And, uh, you know, it just really kind of launched me in a direction 
that uh, it's been going now for 11 years. We've had uh, eight prophecy conferences at our church. Uh, and then I speak all over the world with uh, my friend Amir Sarfati. So it's just really, I think, because it played such a role in my own life, uh, it's, it's uh, always been an area of interest. And now all of the research and all of the studying of the Word of God, especially the book of Revelation, comes to fruition for all of us. The time of the signs, Barry Stagner with us today, talking about things that the Bible tells us, things that we can know and things that we are still watching for as we get ready for the Lord's return. I think that's the biggest question. Are we watching? Are we waiting? Jesus told us to be ready and gave us many parables to teach that as well. So grateful for the time that Barry spends with us today. It's Don and Steve in the morning. I'm telling you, as we talked to Pastor Barry Stagner, I kept thinking as well as last week when I was in India about the need to continue to share who Jesus is and why it matters. I I wonder sometimes if our world has kind of desensitized itself so much to what we want what, what pleases the flesh, what, because, you know, you think of everybody's argument when they come up with what is important to them. It is always coming back to me mm-hmm. or the dollar, <laughs> which comes back which to me. Which comes back to me. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and knowing that eternity hangs in the balance for each of us every day to ask the question, is there an afterlife and how can I get there? Because living a good enough life is not what's going to get us there. There's no measuring stick. Right. Your you good know. and my good are going to be different. They're going to be different. It's are so you subjective. Better? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. subjective. And yet Jesus said, there is no subjectivity. I have made a way and I'm giving it to you. Yeah. In fact, uh, the Bible talks about the fact that there is one way under heaven by which we must be saved. And because God, as the creator, has the rights of the creator, rights of ownership to say, this is the way that my creation is going to function. And I've made that one way for you to be saved. And that is through my son, Jesus. In in fact, we see the demonstration of God's love for us in this. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amazing. But why did he need to die for us? I think that's one of the big questions. That's because... Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, that sin nature got into them, and it's gotten and it's in every one of us since then. So all of us have fallen short of God's standard. None of us measure up. So God made a way through his son Jesus, who came to earth, lived a sinless life, and paid the penalty for our sin. If we confess our sin, turn to him, repent of our sins, and follow after him, the Bible says that we will be saved. On the cross, he took every sin you and I have ever committed and he bore the penalty because we know God in his creation, as you're talking about, Steve, he he put up a, a way to pay for sin in the Old Testament, but it always required sacrifice. Yeah. And the fulfillment of that was sending his very own son. I'm just in the New Testament and in, in the book of John, where when John, the apostle says, you know, here is the Lamb of God. That title struck me in a different way this time as I thought about the lambs that were sacrificed in the Old Testament and the bulls and the doves and all of the different sacrifices that had to be made on behalf of the people. And then he sent the ultimate lamb, the sinless, spotless son 
of himself so that he could pay the penalty for once and for all. And so we look to him with our sinful nature and he says, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's no clearer picture in my mind in all of scripture than the story of the thief on the cross, that account of that thief hanging there next to Jesus, not able to do anything. No works. He can't turn over a new leaf. He can't give money. He can't help an old lady across the street. There's no good thing that he can do to get to heaven. And he certainly doesn't deserve heaven. I mean, there's a reason he's on a cross next to Jesus. Not a good dude. But yet, what does he do? He turns, he asks, he believes. He turns to Jesus and turns from the, the pattern of behavior, the sin, sinful life that he had been, and he turns to the one person who can save him and asks, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And what did Jesus do? Forgave his sin and said, yes, yes today you will be with me in paradise. And then for those few moments that he left on that cross, believing that Jesus was good to his word, and he was with his Savior not long after that little exchange took place at the cross. So I don't know what you've done. I don't know. You may have lived a good moral life. Well, the Bible says you've fallen short of the standard of God. You may have lived a horrific life, and you think there's no way God could want me. Hey, this guy who was being crucified on the cross next to Jesus Jesus welcomed him into paradise. He'll welcome you into paradise as well. Oh, my goodness. It's a question to ask right this moment. Where do you stand in relationship with God? Where do you stand because of his son, Jesus Christ? Have you repented? Have you turned? That's repentance. Have you turned from your sin nature and looked to Jesus for the forgiveness that he is offering you right now? We have more information because it's such a marvelous conversation to be had with him on our website, mymoodyradio.org. In that upper right-hand corner, it says how to know Christ. And It'll walk you through even more of what it means to know Jesus. MyMoodyRadio.org, upper right-hand corner, how to know Christ. Yeah, with me all the way to what McDonald's, which I don't even go to, uh, but they've got this new little bottle. You and McDonald's? I know, funny. I've never known you to go to McDonald's. (laughs) I don't, have I been to McDonald's since I have known you? Maybe for breakfast. Yeah, just about. It has. Because coming up, the end of this month, right? Is yeah. it the end of this month? End of this month. That you first came to that Middle I met Tennessee. You for the first time. Yep. Uh huh. And you tried I, to run me off. It, <laughs> it was my goal, <laughs> and that it just did not work out for me. But I did try really, really hard, and yet here we are, almost four years later, and you have stayed the course. Bless your heart. I'm just stubborn. <laughs> I'll give you that. You are a stubborn man. That is true. Uh, And I don't know. I get a little stubborn now when it comes to McDonald's because I finally got it out of my system. I used to like McDonald's. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I still do. I don't know. Do you? Oh, I do. I don't go there really anymore. Uh, Double quarter pounder with cheese. (laughs) Big fry. Dat Coke. Dat Coke to wash it all down and negate all the calories. And, Uh And then... A cone, ice cream cone, just for good measure. Oh, well, there you go, because because yep. ice cream just seeps in the cracks, you know. It does. You don't have to, yeah, you don't have to worry about taking up space. It's um, interesting that McDonald's has this new model they're trying out. One store right outside of Chicago, Cosm... Had I known. I know. I was up there at the end of last week. Had you known. Oh. 
we could have sent you in as a scout to find out if this is all it's cracked up to be. Uh, folks are thinking they're trying to take on some of the consumers that appreciate Dutch Bros, Dutch Brothers, okay, yep. and maybe Starbucks, like where their snacks and drinks. So their their food menu is not going to be extensive. But what they have on there doesn't scream McDonald's to me. No uh, quarter no. pounder, double quarter pounder. No, I, in fact, I'm looking at the the menu there. So first of all, not the standard McDonald's bun. No, like fancy bread, uh, <laughs> creamy avocado tomato sandwich. Yum. We got the spicy queso sandwich there. Pretzel bites, savory hash brown bites, caramel fudge brownie. They've got uh, these McPops, which look almost a little bit like donuts. Stuffed with sugar. Donut. Yeah, with like creamy filling inside. They, it looks amazing. What they're really known for in this particular model is like this bevy of beverages. Yeah. They are taking, I mean, it looks like Sonic almost on steroids to me because they have all of these different teas and frappes and, or is it frappe, and lemonades, just all the things, even energy drinks. And they're going to try to get 10 of these stores across the nation. However, they're not telling us where. Oh, man. All right. I am curious. I am not a huge I don't go to McDonald's very often. Sure. Right? Very, very rarely do I go. But if I saw one of these, and they're calling them Cosmics, if I saw a Cosmic, I think I might have to try it just for the experience of doing it. Just for the anomaly of it, because they're trying this new kind of deal with a drive through that's like four lanes, and they are working out the kinks, because evidently if an order is delayed or something, they're having some bottlenecks and some confusion. I can only imagine. I can't do two lanes in a drive through well. So four lanes, unless you've got somebody out there like Chick-fil-A directing traffic, yeah. I don't know how they're going to do this well. And so that is all part of the growing pains of this new. But that's, I guess, why they did one to try it out. And then they'll add the other nine or ten locations a little bit later. But I would definitely go just to try it once. Oh, I would, too. In fact, I'm continuing to look at the menu here. And they've got this blueberry lemon cookie sundae. Uh, whoa. Uh, right? It doesn't sound like your standard McDonald's fare there, but uh, very intrigued by that. Would definitely want to try that. Blueberry lemon cookie sundae. Sounds amazing.